several years ago when Pastor Mark and I were laying out our mission strategy, the, uh, the world was basically coming online in our organization and there were churches being planted all over and we had several opportunities of where we could have invested our time and energy. Uh, there were people in the Caribbean who were like, come here, help us. And there was a big part of me that was like, yes. But we chose Eastern Europe and it's a hard place to plant churches. Some countries have less than 1%. Uh, evangelical Christian population, but God is doing an awesome work there. But they need your prayers. So pray for Pastor Alex every week. Pray for Harvest or for Vertical Church Kiev every week that these early years would be formative and that God would put deep roots down in the soil. Well, we are in a series called Moses, a story of doubt and deliverance. We're actually in a section called the Ten Commandments, but we're on break because the city of Palus approved our building plans, so we're moving forward with phase two. We were going to get to the tabernacle anyway, but we've just jumped ahead a little bit. We're talking about the building program that happened in the middle of the wilderness at the foot of Mount Sinai. The Israelites started building something for the Lord. What they display in their building program is helping us as we go through our phase two building program also. So we'll get into the word in a second. But first, in April, we want to give you resources so that you can be informed on our building program. And then in May, we're going to challenge everybody who would call this church home to make a commitment to help us to get this building program done. When you came in, you should have received this handout for the phase two. Hold this up if you got it on the way in. And inside is some important details. We're not going to go through it in detail today because we have a, uh, a meeting after both services next week for those who have questions and who want to hear the whole project overview. So plan to stay for some extra time at the end of the service next week. But the cover shows uh, a blueprint of the tabernacle, which is what the Israelites were building in the wilderness. Building faith is the title because we see this not just as budgets and and banks and deadlines, but as a chance for our faith to grow. If you open it up, you'll see an overview letter from me that shares the details of the project, including a 3,500 square foot addition, gym floor, parking, gym air conditioner. Um, And so then you'll see some renderings and blueprints of where the addition is going to go. There's also some throwback pictures to phase one when so many of you put in time and energy and finances to help make that phase one project happen. If you keep turning, you'll see the blueprints of where the addition is going to go compared to the gym. Pretty much if you walk into the gym and look left, that wall is where the two entrances are going to go into the storage and into the bathrooms. So that's where it's going to go. You can see that upstairs we're adding four offices and a conference room. Downstairs, two full-size grown-up bathrooms and also plenty of storage. And then at the bottom, you'll see a gym rendering of what our gym could look like with a nice new floor um, and, and maybe even some more design elements in that. <clears throat> then if you keep turning, you'll see the current estimated project costs. So our uh, builder is nailing down the, uh, the bids from the subs this week, and, and this is our current estimated project cost for each area. The total project estimate is coming in at about $1.2 million. We'd like to cut that number down. And the way we could do that would include donated or discounted services and material. So if you're in the position to donate or discount services or material, this is the week for you to let us know because we want our builder to know that rather than we get somebody, you know, somebody nailed down on the bid and then you come in later and you're like, oh, I can help. So please contact us if you'd like to donate or discount services and material this week. Also, we can do some volunteer projects. We can do some of this work ourselves and we'll be coordinating those once the construction begins. That'll save us some money. And then if some of you are in the position to front load your pledges and offerings, 
Like this is going to be a two-year campaign, but for some of you, you might, you might be like, well, I could just give it all at once rather than spread it out. That saves us on the interest because the bank's going to loan us the money. We'll pay that back over a two-year period. But if you're able to front load in any way your pledges and offerings, then the portion you're paying for wouldn't accrue interest on that project. So if you're able to give uh, toward the front end, then that would save us some money on the financing also. Check out the next page, the final page. where uh, There's a worksheet there, and uh, I'm just challenging you to have the conversation with God. And uh, if you're married, have the conversation with your spouse. And this is a good talking point and a good worksheet because our goal is to raise the whole amount. We don't want to add any new debt onto the church, so we'd love to raise a million dollars. And the way you can help us with that is to either give from income, savings or unexpected income or retirement account. You can give from assets. Like we've had people give stock before. You can just set that up with, your, uh, with uh, whoever does your investments and you can give stock to the church. You can sell something. You can adjust your plans. Uh, you can also adjust your budget. And then however you do it, get to a, two, a two-year giving plan. And we're asking people then to fill out a pledge card. You can check this out. Hold up the pledge card if you got one in the bulletin this morning. There should be more on the way out if you didn't get one. My son grabbed ours before I could stop him and wrote a million dollars on it. So actually, we're all set because apparently we're going to give it all. Uh, But you can go ahead and look through this. And then we do need you to fill out a pledge card and turn it in. Commitment Sunday is May 6th. And then if you're not able to be there May 13th, we'll collect some too. But May 6th is Commitment Sunday. We'd love for you to have a plan and turn it in. Some people have said like, why do I need to fill out a pledge card? I'll just give. Well, we need to know what your plan is so we can track the project. And the bank takes these very seriously because they want to know that God's people are invested uh, so that they would lend us the money. So please fill this out and, and stretch and understand that if for some reason you would need to change this, you could always turn in another one. But uh, make a, a faith pledge. And I would just like to challenge you to make it a true sacrifice, something special to the Lord. Try to do something that actually impacts your daily life. Don't do something where you're like, well, I can do this and not change anything about my life. You know, David said, I'm not going to give to the Lord what costs me nothing. So let's not aim to do something that really doesn't challenge us to change our our spending or our planning. Let's do something that really puts us in a posture of faith because the whole point, the whole title is building faith. So let's take a step of faith. And if we all do our part together, whatever you define sacrifice is, then just as in phase one, we collected $1.6 million over the course of the project, we believe the full amount can come in. We want you to know why we're doing this project, so we're going to film videos that highlight one area at a time. Pastor Mark and I just filmed a uh, reason why we have to update the air conditioning for the gym in a video recently, so check this video out. Hey Harvest, I am out back in, I don't know what to call it, but it's kind of the church storage yard in the fenced-in enclosure where we have many air conditioning units, and as you can see, This is the only remaining unit in the church that needs to be replaced. We've already done a lot of work upgrading the HVAC in phase one. And this is responsible for cooling the gym. And this unit is almost dead. It barely made it through last summer. In fact, on the hottest days of the summer, one of our deacons had to come out here and hose it down to keep it running right so that it wouldn't keep turning off. There's four fans on top, only two of them are working. So this thing was born in 1977. And you wanna know what else was born in 1977? Me. So ever since 77, this thing every summer has been working hard and it's time to replace this. It's tens of thousands of dollars, these aren't cheap. But by comparison, check this out. We've already put some new air conditioning units in. Doesn't this look nice and new and 
like it actually works right. And then down here, the air conditioning for the worship center and other parts of the building have already been updated. So one of the blessings of being building owners as a church is we get to take care of things like this. And so it's, it's time. It's time to update that air conditioner. And that'll be part of this phase two project. So please be in prayer and please plan out what you're going to do so that you can uh, help do your part. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the word together. Father, at the beginning of this project, we want you to know that we're doing this as an expression of faith. Uh, we want to be great stewards of the resources you've given us. We don't want to be behind. We want to be ahead. We don't want to be waiting around for things to break like the gym air conditioner. We want to get ahead of things. So help us to be great stewards. Help us to continue to be generous, Lord. And as God's people step up, may you lead and guide it so that when your math is all done, it all comes together. Thank you, Lord. As we get into your word, show us what we can learn at the foot of Mount Sinai from your people who were building the tabernacle. We pray that you would move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 25. Chapter 25. The tabernacle is a tent where everything inside of it is covered in gold. It's a glamorous tent. The Israelites are all living in tents, but in the middle of their tent community with a couple million people, there was this awesome tent. And this is where God's earthly presence fell during this period in salvation. Check it out. Here's a picture of the tabernacle. What you'll see is there's a priest standing at the entrance and there's a curtain and everything inside is covered in gold. The holy place was reserved for the priests who did their work. And then the most holy place, which had the Ark of the Covenant, was actually off limits. God used the tabernacle to teach his people principles about them and about God. This is God's way of saying, you can't get into my my holy presence, not on earth and not in heaven. God's holy presence is off limits to sinful people. So that's why people had to offer sacrifices. That's why blood had to be shed because sin had to be atoned for. Then as people did that, the priests were able to come in and mediate between God and man. And one time a year, God allowed the, the high priest to come into the most holy place. Why? So that he can put the blood of the lamb on the Ark of the Covenant. And what did that mean? That meant that sin had been paid for so that God's people were able to dwell in his presence. But once that priest got his job done in the most holy place, he had to get out of there because otherwise he'd be put to death. This is God's way of showing us that even though he made his dwelling among their, uh, in their presence, they still weren't welcome into his, into his most holy presence. Do you know when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two? So finally God welcomed us into his most holy presence through his son. Do you see how the tabernacle was like, I joked a few weeks ago, it was like a diorama, a life-size diorama showing our problem that we can't enter God's presence and his provision to make it happen. The Israelites were building this. It would have cost them tens of millions of dollars in today's money with all that gold, silver, and bronze. They were building it. And God was teaching them about himself, and we're learning about faith too. So check out Exodus 25, verse 1. Moses came down the fiery inferno that was Sinai, and people were like, what happened? What was up there? The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So they took up a building fund offering. This is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tan ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood. It'd be kind of funny if you came in on Commitment Sunday with some goat skins. 
You know, here, it's biblical. Take it away. Here's some scarlet yarn. This is what people were bringing. Canned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod, for the breast piece. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Moses was inviting God's people to give and to work so that God's presence might be among them. The Israelites give us a model that we are to give and to work so that God's presence would be feel, would God would feel present and loved among us. Moses struggled with a lone ranger complex all the way from the beginning. Do you remember when he, he killed the Egyptian slave driver and buried him in the sand? Remember that? So Moses' plan was the one-man assassin. He's just going to take him out one at a time. That didn't work so well. He fled for his life for 40 years. Then he came back and God delivered the people. Then when Moses finally had this nation, he had him line up single file because he was a one-man government. And Jethro showed up and said, what you're doing is not wise. See, Moses struggled to delegate. So God built a whole nation around him, and then God raised up thousands of people to serve as overseers in the government. Then God started raising up priests to serve in the tabernacle, and he even raised up a team of builders and craftsmen uh, and designers to help. Moses had to spread the work out. He couldn't do it all. Now, in New Testament terms, you and I are both invited to do work for God, just as Moses and the Israelites did. The way we phrase that in our church DNA is, you can jot this down, work for Christ. We have three W's at Harvest. The first one is worship Christ. The second one is walk with Christ. The third one is work for Christ. God has work for you to do. He has assignments with your name at the top. And if you do that work, you'll be fruitful in your faith and the church will be stronger because of it. And if you neglect that work, then your faith will not grow as stronger as it could and the church won't be as strong as it could if you were working for Christ. So we challenge you to work for Christ. Jesus himself set an example for us to follow. He served the Father when he was on earth. In fact, check out John 4, 34. Let's read this together nice and loud. Here we go. Jesus said to them... My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus came from the Father doing the works of God. He sets an example for you and me that we're here not to serve ourselves or even only to serve our families or our jobs. We're here to serve the Lord, to work for Christ. Now, I want to be careful with what I'm saying here because your work for God does nothing to get you into heaven. When I say work for God, nothing that you do for him is going to impress him to the point of inviting you into heaven. Jesus, when he was on the cross, cried out something at the end. Do you remember what he said? He said, it is finished. Meaning Jesus finished all the work of saving you. You can't even lift one finger to save yourself. Nothing you do for God in your entire lifetime will make him want to welcome you into heaven. Jesus did all that work for you. Nail that down in your heart that you're not working to earn God's favor. You're working to enjoy God's favor. You already have it because Jesus finished the work of saving you. Don't show up on Sunday feeling like, well, after I get all this done, God will be real happy with me. No, he's happy with you because of what Jesus did. You're just enjoying that by serving the one who saved you. None of your works give you uh, a merit in God's sight. 
But when you know all that Jesus did for you, when you know that Jesus came down from heaven to earth, lived the perfect life, and on the cross, he did away with your sin, then after he was thrown in the tomb, he was raised to life, and now he rules heaven. When you know that, you'll worship him, you'll walk with him, and you will work for him. Work for Christ. How do I do that? Well, look at Exodus 35, verse 30, because the Israelites, again, give us a great example of how they worked for God at the foot of Sinai. In Exodus 35, verse 30, it says this, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and he was and he filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. <clears throat> so we see people called out by name here, and it says God is calling them to do a specific work. And God calls you to do a specific work for him as well. He'll tap you on the shoulder and nudge you and urge you to serve him in special ways. So here these folks got called. Uh, they were skilled and they were filled with the Spirit. We'll come back to that in a second. To do what? Verse 32, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze. So you have designers. Today we have architects and graphic designers who help us at church. There's also those who work in gold, silver, and bronze. That's, that's no small feat. If you gave me like a, like a bucket full of bronze, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And if you were like, here, go make something, I'd be like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, but people knew what they were doing. Verse 33, in cutting stones for setting. So these are gemstones. Yet again, if you gave me like a diamond in rough form and you were like, here, turn this into something beautiful, I'd just be like, I don't, I'll YouTube it. But other than that, I don't know what to do with it. Carving wood in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach. Hey, you having a boy soon? There's Aholiab and Ahissamach. Go ahead and go with those names. Of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver, by a designer, by an embroiderer. So you've got embroiderers, you've got people who are engraving the precious stones in blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen or by a weaver. L listen to all the jobs that are getting done. Workman or skilled designer. You see the word that keeps coming up here? Skill. Verse 35, skill. Verse uh, Further on in verse 35, it says a skilled uh, designer. And earlier it says in verse 31, he has filled them with the spirit and with skill. It also says here that God did this. God gave them skill. God filled them with skill. Chapter 36, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So work for Christ and jot this down. Donate your time and your talents to the Lord. You see workers and craftsmen and embroiderers. You see, you see women and men here, and they're bringing their skill to work on the tabernacle of the Lord. They're, they're donating their time, and, and they're doing it so that the, the Lord's presence might be built up in their midst. What a great example they're setting for us. You have priests, you have Levites, you have craftsmen, you have people weaving, you have people carving and embroidering, engraving. Devoting their time, their energy, their schedule, and talents to the Lord. God invites you and me to work for Him as well. You're probably not going to, you know, show up and ask, you know, teach me how to engrave onyx. Uh, but whatever skill you have, knowledge you have, ability you have, God wants you to use it to serve Him. 
He wants you to serve him. Now, this includes at work. When you go to work, God wants you to work for him. Have you seen that bumper sticker that says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter? Have you seen that? That should be your attitude, that you're showing up to work, but Christ is the one who you're ultimately serving. Don't let that get you out of doing a good job for your boss. Don't be like, you can't tell me what to do because my boss is a Jewish carpenter. You're not in charge of me. No, 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 that's not the attitude. The attitude is you're doing a great job for Christ and your boss. You want to be known at work for a hard worker. You want to be known as a person with a great spirit. Why? Because you're doing it for Christ. I've had many jobs in life. My first job ever was a fry cook at McDonald's. And I wasn't saved. And so I did all sorts of bad stuff on that job. We had milkshake fights. You know, I stole chicken nuggets while I was on the job. And, you know, I did all this stuff because I wasn't saved yet. But then my, my next few jobs, I was a Christian. I was a performing DJ. So, so I'd go to weddings. And I was a new baby Christian. And I was told that I had to work for Christ. So, bef- so I was dressed like a blues brother because we were performing DJs. So there I was in my, like, fedora, like, praying that God would bless me. In my, like as I led the hokey pokey, that he would like bless me. I didn't know how that happened. I just knew I was a new Christian. I was supposed to honor God with my gifts. So I just prayed that he, you know, I'm teaching people the Macarena, uh, but that was somehow God was <laughs> with me, blessing me. And my other job during the summer was um, I knew a guy who made teeth, like teeth that, you know, like uh, what do you call that, crowns and stuff. So I delivered teeth from the person who made them back to the dentist and I got paid for that. I was like the reverse tooth fairy. I helped teeth to get back into the mouth. And I'd pray about that. Bless me today as I get delivered teeth. Uh, that's all I knew. I just knew that I was supposed to use my job to work for Christ. Whatever you do, make sure that you do it as an ambassador for Christ. You are showing people the love of Christ. You have your, I was talking to a guy this week who's having a rough time at work. And I said, listen, man, God's got you in that outpost to show people what a Christian is like. You're angry, you're upset, you don't feel like your work environment is fair. Do something about it to show the glory of Christ. You don't complain, you don't grumble, you don't act like everybody else. Sure, you can voice what you, what you think would be right and fair, but do it to show people that Christ is with you. It changes perspective. He's like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. But wherever you are, show people that you love the Lord Jesus and you serve him. They should notice something different about you at work, how you react. How you relate should show the beauty of Christ because he's with you. You should work for Christ at work. You should also work for Christ at church. You should find a ministry team, sign up, and let God uh, use you to build up the church around you. Sometimes we have people who are like, well, I just don't have enough time. Hey, let me just challenge you on that. Is it wise to protect your schedule from the author of time? Is it wise to protect your schedule from the author of time? The one who's deciding in your hourglass of a life how many sands get up there in the top. Is it wise to keep him away from your schedule? Or is it wise to invite him to invade your schedule so that your time might be used for his glory? I would challenge you to sign up for a ministry team and get working for Christ. We have a great culture of service here at Harvest. We have so many people working for Christ. We have so many people. We had last year an opportunity... that came up when Houston got flooded. We got pictures. Houston got flooded, and we're watching the news every night. Our hearts are broken. We're seeing people floating around, rescuing their neighbors. And I had uh, breakfast with one of our leaders here. We were just heartbroken, and we're like, we should send a team. We should send a team today. And so then I got back here and told Pastor Dave, hey, let's send a team 
to Houston tonight. And his eyes got real big. We started texting people saying, hey, we're going to send a team to Houston tonight. Can you go? There was one couple that <clears throat> they, were, they just finished something up. They were walking out and the guy got the text that said, we're going to Houston tonight. You want to come? And he showed his wife and his wife said, bye-bye. Maybe they were fighting. I don't know. I just want to get rid of them. There was one guy, it was his wife's birthday. They were planning on going out for her birthday that night. And she said, no, go. So these, they dropped everything and went down. We got a picture here of the team that went down to Houston to help people. Many of these houses got flooded. People didn't even have flood insurance. Check out this next video of them gutting a house. Imagine if this was your house. Taking out some door jams. Wow, what if you only had a day or two before your house was a total loss and a team shows up and says, we'll do whatever we can. So we have a great work ethic here at Harvest, but donate your time and your talents to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Now, also what we see in this text is the word skill keeps coming up. So jot this down. Serve with skill. There's only one point here in the sermon. It's work for Christ. And then there's these sub points. And one sub point is serve with skill. This means find an area of strength, and this means find an area where God is spiritually blessing you. There's some fruit coming from that. We really, in in general, we try and find people the right place to serve. If someone's like, I want to be on the worship team, and then they audition, and it's like a really bad American Idol audition. You know, have you seen those before? We're like, yeah, this isn't the right place for you. Some people can't take that. In another Harvest Church, there was a um, woman who tried out for the worship team and was told no because it she wasn't good. So she joined the tech team. Or no, actually, this was a guy. So he joined the tech team. And then without telling anybody, he wired himself a microphone and he sang on the worship team secretly. <clears throat> they caught him doing it. He was putting his own voice on the worship team because he didn't like that he was not allowed to be on the team. All right. Don't have that heart. Don't have that heart of I'll serve where I want to serve. You know, work in an area of skill. There were people here who had skill in gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood, fabric, incense. And and they developed these skills when they were in bondage in Egypt. They weren't making the best curtains for themselves. They were making stuff for for Pharaoh's royal family. And they were making palaces and stuff. Where did they get all the gold and silver to do all this work? They plundered the Egyptians because God saved them. The idea of a of a people rescued out of slavery using the resources and the skills they have to serve their rescuer, that's the church. You know, everything you have, God gave to you, and he wants you to use it for his kingdom. But serve with skill. You have skills, abilities, knowledge, and if you look back at chapter 35, verse 31, it says, he filled them with the spirit of God, with skill, intelligence, and knowledge. All of those are important. There is the Spirit of God that fills every Christian and empowers, um, empowers that Christian to do God's work. little theology on the Holy Spirit here. The area of theology when you study the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. What we believe about the Holy Spirit is, first of all, that it's a person of the Trinity. It's not a force. It, it's, it's, it's not like a light. This is a person. And the Holy Spirit 
in the Old Testament would come on people to do a special work of the Lord. The Spirit would even leave people when the work was done or when they disobeyed. So the Spirit came on Saul and left Saul. Spirit came on David and David prayed, take not your spirit from me. Uh, In addition, the Spirit came on people like Samson. The Spirit came on people like kings, prophets, priests. And also it says here on these workmen, the foremen of the tabernacle. What an honor that the Spirit would come on them as they were doing the construction work of the tabernacle. When the Spirit fell on several leaders in Moses' community, there were a few who didn't show up to the leader meeting who started showing the Spirit was with them in the camp. And a few of Moses' leaders said, Hey, tell them to stop. They didn't come to the meeting. And Moses said, Oh, how I wish that all of God's people would have the Spirit. That was his longing. And in the New Testament at Pentecost, God answered that prayer. God now pours out his Spirit on every Christian the moment they're saved. What an, what an honor in this period of salvation that the moment you're saved, you get to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit who was active in making the universe starts working through, through you. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, you're telling me that if I stand at the door and greet and hand out bulletins that somehow the Holy Spirit is using me to do that? Amen. He is. You're telling me I serve on the tech team and I'm just moving sliders and making sure there's no feedback and somehow the Holy Spirit who has enough power and wisdom to make another universe if he wants to is using me? Yes. Yes, he is. You can be used by God to do his work. So find an area of skill And there's even spiritual gifts the Bible talks about. There's speaking gifts, there's serving gifts, uh, there's gifts everything from the gift of preaching and teaching, the gift of helping and serving. Uh, There's many spiritual gifts that you can find, the gift of giving. But whatever your spiritual gift is, whatever your skills, your ability, your knowledge is, find your fit and serve the Lord. There are also some people who are called into the vocation of ministry. There could be some people in here this morning who are feeling called to give their lives to the work of ministry. Most of us are called to serve God in a vocation outside of the church, meaning you go to work because you do your job and you do it hard and you bring your offerings to the Lord. We can have Pastor Jeremy investing in the teenagers, you know, 50 hours a week. We can have you know, Pastor Mark getting awesome worship services ready and, and, and paving the way for future missions opportunities. Because you go to work and do your job, uh, and God's called you to do that. The rest of us can also do our work here because of your generosity. But some of you might be called out of the work world into ministry, and the Spirit is generating that sense of calling. I talked to several people recently in our church who are saying, I just feel such a strong pull to the mission field, or I feel like God might need a you know, leave my job and work at the church. Hey, that, we take that very seriously. Now, if you're wondering, am I called to ministry? The best way to figure that calling out is to work for Christ. You don't just sit at home on your easy chair wondering, should I or shouldn't I give my life to work for Christ? When you're doing nothing for him, the way that you identify your calling is by getting to work. Then other people see around you, wow, God's really doing something through you. You're bearing some fruit. Maybe, maybe it's time for more, and your heart just begins to beat more and more for the work of Christ. For me, when Lauren and I got married in the year 2000, neither of us knew that God was going to call me into full-time ministry. Surprise! We just helped this church launch out in uh, Wheaton, Carroll Stream, Lombard, and we, Lauren started the Awana program there, and I became the youth leader, even though I never attended a youth group growing up. I was the youth leader of 12 kids. 
you know, just got, and we built everything from nothing, little church of 40, 50 people, got to the point where they could bring me on part-time staff, and then they brought me on full-time staff in 2004, but I was at first a deacon, and they just started giving me a little more, a little more. I've got some pictures of what I did at that church. You want to see some throwback pictures of me? So here's me at a kid's camp. There's over 100 kids at a kid's camp, and that was rowdy. Long, you know, you, you get a room full of fifth grade boys, you know, all, and they're all, they all have giant pixie sticks, and you're in for quite a weekend. And here's another picture. We're about to have a giant shaving cream fight out on the field with 100 kids, which I got some in my mouth, but that's all right. Here's the next picture. Uh, this is our VBS at our last church, and there's me in the back right. I'm a VBS group leader. We were called the Rowdy Rice Bowls that year, Rickshaw Rally. Uh, and here's the next picture. This is now I became a youth pastor, so here's me with some students in the back rocking the goatee before we go up zip line in the high robes course. And here's another picture. I got to serve on the worship team as the drummer. Uh, and here's the next picture. Uh, this is just a work day. We were tearing out all sorts of stuff from the building back then. Uh, and I think we have one more. When we moved our church into a school, I was on the road crew. So there we were, setting up and tearing down. It was freezing out. You like that hat? That's a warm hat. Uh, we, we were out there freezing, setting up the church, putting it in a trailer, tearing it back down. So, so God gave me all these different ways to work for him, little by little. And then he started doing more and more and more. And finally, it's I was a full-time youth pastor. And then finally, it's go plant a church and, and now preach every Sunday. But if you develop the habit of saying yes to God, letting him invade your schedule, then who knows where God is leading you? Pastor Jeremy was in charge of the parking lot, you know, and he was teaching. And, and one day we had dinner and he's like, I just feel like teaching isn't where I'm supposed to be. And it was like, ding. And then he came on staff as our youth pastor. And now he's going to go plant a church. You just don't know. But if God is tapping you on the shoulder and prompting you to give your life to serving him, don't ignore that. Acts 13.2 says this, uh, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And God may tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, I want you to lead this mission trip. Hey, I want you to go on. Hey, I want you to be on the VBS team. The Spirit is calling your name and giving you work to do. So work for Christ. Donate your time and talents to the Lord. Serve with skill. Find the right area and serve with skill. Now jot this down. Serve with excellence. Serve with excellence. We know that, of course, in Exodus chapter 25, it says exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Chapter 25. If you just thumb through your Bible, chapter 26, chapter 27 chapter 28. There's all this detail of how they're doing a great job. 29, 30, all the way through. It just keeps going. They, they wrote down how they did such a great job. They did it precisely. They did it brilliantly. They made it look awesome. They're setting a great example for us because when we do anything for Christ, we should do a great job. We should serve with excellence. When it comes to excellence, there's a few verses that really pound away at this in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 2.15 it says, do your, what's that word? Let's say that again. Do your, when you send your kids to go clean their room, they could do their best or they could do their worst. And usually on the first try, what do you get? They don't do their best. You know, they start hiding all the wrappers behind the counter and, you know, they shove things in the closet. They're not doing their best. But if you really draw it out of them, then they'll do a great job. My grandma and grandpa used to come up from Florida once a year and they stayed at our house. 
And when they were staying at our house, we had to get the house. Grandma clean. You know what that means? That means no dust anywhere. So that's what it means to do your best. And sometimes when people think of working for church, they actually have this low view of church. Like there was one of our guitar, guitar players in the past. They don't go to our church anymore, but he wasn't playing the part right. And Mark's like, hey, you know, can you work on that? And he goes, Mark, I don't think God cares how I play this part. And the drummer chimed in and said, hey, this is for the Lord. God cares that you do a good job. And then he snapped to attention. But do you see that the culture of mediocrity is not something that honors the Lord? Mediocrity is automatic. If you want to be excellent, you have to devote yourself to it. And we challenge everybody to do their best because we're serving the king. Whatever you do, whether it's in church or whether it's at work or at home, do it with all your heart. Do it. Do an excellent job. So, so I've been keeping you updated on our, uh, we want to sell our house that we've owned out in the Winfield Wheaton area. We've owned it for eight years. We couldn't sell it when we launched the church. Long, great story. But so we rented it out. God did awesome stuff. But it finally got to the point where our renter said, all right, I'm moving out. It's time for you to sell it. So we got it all ready to sell. And then we listed it March 10th. It sold in three days, which is awesome. And then it was going to close within a month. So I told you last week that uh, it was Sunday, but we're going to close on Tuesday. So I said, I'm kind of holding the pom-poms, but I can't celebrate yet because Tuesday's closed and it hasn't closed yet. So Tuesday came around and we had signed everything in advance. And so then we were just hearing from the closing, everything's going well, everything's going well. And so after the closing, the attorney sent us an email, hey, it closed, everything's good, congratulations. And I was like, rah, rah, wait, because then on Wednesday morning, I got a call from the attorney's office and the woman said, hey, Mr. Hall, very sorry, but there was a big mistake. The financing didn't come through yet. And I'm like, what? And I was like, what do you mean? Well, we're still trying to figure it out. I was like, we'll figure it out. Because you sold them the property, right? Yep. You gave them the keys, right? Yep. And we didn't get the money, right? Right. And I'm like, did we get robbed? So a whole hour went by where I was like, and then finally the attorney called and said, we're sorry, but we got it all sorted out. One last heart attack. But hey, he's like, it's all done. The deal is done. So we sold the house. Isn't that awesome? Here's my point, title company. I don't care what you do in the work world. The title company messed up and they're like, we made a mistake. Do your job, right? Don't you feel like you want to tell people this throughout the week? Hey, do your job. Do it well. Do a great job because otherwise you give people heart attacks if you do a poor job. We thought we had the money. We didn't have the money. Well, a guy came up to me at the end of the first service and he goes, I own a title company. We're going to do a good job this week. I'm like, good. Whatever you do, do a great job. Do an excellent job. Don't be known as a slacker because you're working for Christ. And in the church, do a great job. Do an awesome job. We had a woman on our kids' ministry team many years ago. She no longer comes here, but she was always late. So we finally gave her a call, and we're like, we're very sorry, but we would like you to do a great job for the Lord. So you're missing the prayer meeting 30 minutes before. You're not even getting here on time. You're like 10 minutes late. Oh, well, I have my morning routine. We're like, yeah, we noticed that you kind of come in with Starbucks every Sunday morning. So you've got the time to stop for Starbucks, but can you get here on time? Oh, no, I can't because I, get, I stay up late Saturday. And we're like, so you just can't get here on time. 
She was also supposed to teach, and she was planning her lesson in the back of the kids' area one Sunday morning. So we're like, we really need you to do an excellent job. And she's like, well, I just can't do that. And I said, well, then you just can't serve here. So she wasn't able to work because she wouldn't be on time. And we have parents dropping their kids off, and she's on the Starbucks drive through line. You know, so whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Do a great job. Serve with excellence. In Colossians 3.23, it says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I don't know what ministry team you're on, but do a great job. I mean, check your email. Make sure that you tell us when you can't be here. Uh, You know, don't wait for a phone call to remind you. Can you imagine we have in kids ministry alone like 70 people on the team? Can you imagine if 70 people needed a phone call to remind them when they're serving? I mean, it would consume all of our time. So do an awesome job. Even the world knows that it's so awesome when you're a part of something where people work hard and do something great. Steve, the late Steve Jobs, you know, founder of Apple, said this, being the richest man in the cemetery doesn't matter to me. Going to bed at night saying we've done something wonderful, that's what matters to me. Hey, going to bed at night knowing we've done something wonderful for the Lord here, that should matter to you. Let's do a great job. So donate your time, talents to the Lord. Uh, Serve with skill. Serve with excellence. And then finally, serve with joy. Attitude matters. The Israelites give us a great example here. In chapter 36, we see our theme verses for this whole project. It says in verse 2, So Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. So there's all these people. Their hearts are stirred up. They're ready to work. There are so many times in the Old Testament where the Israelites were caught complaining, grumbling, arguing. Guess what? When they're working, they're not complaining. They're doing something awesome together. Same can be true of a church. They received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. People keep showing up. Hey, I can help. Hey, I've got more fabric. Hey, I've got more bronze. They keep showing up. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. They had to cancel the offerings. Hey, 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 no more. We've got more than enough. Nope, nope, we don't need you for the workday. It's full. What a great spirit they had. Their attitudes were, uh, they were doing it, and they were doing it well, and they were doing it willingly with joy. Hey, is that your attitude? Do you show up with a great spirit and a great heart, knowing that you're doing it for the Lord? Lauren and I have been to Disney many times. My mom fell in love with Disney, and so we went like every year for several years. And I've never had a bad experience with a Disney employee, ever. So when I was down there, I bought a book that talked about how they get their staff culture so that anybody from the person, you know, who's working as the cashier to the person who's selling the cotton candy to the person who's sweeping up the the streets, how they have the same mindset. And their secret is this. They train. It's not method. It's not skills. uh, It's not threats. They train the people to think of themselves as cast members. The moment you step out there on the street, you are a cast member in a living movie. And, and the, the kids walking around who see you, you're in the movie. Because of that, they have a very, very low complaint rate because the staff 
sees themselves as in the show, part of the show. And when they go out as actors, they do their job really well, and there's very little trouble. It's an amazing thought. Listen, when you show up to serve at church, you're in the show. You're in the great, and you're not just in a fake show. You're in the story of how God is reaching this world for his son. Do you realize that? You're part of the production. You get to shine the light on the Lord Jesus Christ and to glorify him. You're in it. One of my favorite movies in the 80s was The Never-Ending Story. How many of you have seen The Never-Ending Story? And the climax of the whole movie is when, is when Bastion, you know, he's, he's reading the story and suddenly he realizes that the characters are calling out to him to help. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm in the book? I'm in the book? I'm in the book? When you read this Bible, you shouldn't see it as a past tense thing. This story is live right now and you're on stage and God's using you to unfold his story wherever you go. When you know that, you have something that should motivate you more than feeling like you're a part of a fairy tale. God is using you now to unfold the the kingdom of his son. When you realize that, you should do a great job and serve with joy. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hey, let me challenge you to work for Christ. Serve with joy. Serve with excellence. Serve with skill. Donate your time and talents to the Lord, and he will bless everything that you give to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll sing one final song. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are Lord of all. You give us life and breath. You keep the sun shining. You have done so much for us. Help us to invest our time in building up your kingdom. Lord, raise up men and women, young and old, to serve in your church, to strengthen your church. And help us to understand that we don't work to earn your favor. We work because, Jesus, you finished it at the cross. You did all of the work to save us, and now we serve because we're so grateful. Fill this church with people who will say yes, who will surrender their time and their energy to work for you. Fill this church, Lord, with more people who will say, I'll do it. I'll take that. Let me do that. And help us to do it well. Help us to do a great job for you, Lord, with joyful hearts. As we bring our service to you, as we bring our worship to you, our offerings to you, Lord, feel loved, feel exalted, because you are our King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We'll sing one more song together.